Well, I'm going to tell you, that was wonderful preaching. I was telling the preacher uh, while Brother Simpson was preaching, I saw Brother Morgan get up and start slowly walking. And it's like the Grim Reaper. <laughs> you're, you're looking at him wondering, where, who's he going to touch? Where, where's he going? And uh, he fooled, he, uh, he fooled Brother Fleur because he walked by him. Brother Fleur went, <laughs> Then he went back and got him. But uh, it just tickled me. I don't know. I have an unusual sense of humor. But anyway, I enjoyed that good message. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses from Second Samuel. Chapter 23, and um, then we'll also be in Second Samuel 11 for just a few moments this morning. I've had this message on my heart uh, since I got here. I just wasn't sure when I was supposed to preach it, and um, this will be maybe a fresh path in a familiar place because it's I want to talk to you a little bit about a man named Uriah we hear a great deal of preaching about David and a great deal of preaching about Bathsheba but there's a man in that story who's often overlooked his name is Uriah and I want to talk about him a little bit when you come to 2 Samuel 23 um you can go ahead and be seated. Thank you. Second Samuel 23. Mr. Schofield calls these the last words of David. And then beginning in verse 8, he deals with David's mighty men. I love to preach on these mighty men. And uh, there's a fellow, there's an unusual man. I'll just mention him because you might want to study him a little bit. In verse 30, the Bible said, Hittai of the brooks of Gaash. He's an unusual man because... Most of these fellows, it tells us who his daddy was. It tells us what village he came from or who his tribe was. But all it says about Hittai was he was of the brooks of Gaash. When you look at the parallel passage, uh, that says the same thing about him, although his name there is Hurai. Something happened at Gaash that changed his life. And the rest of his life, he was associated with whatever it was that happened. That's what happened to me. Something happened to me by the brook one day. I got born again, and I want to be associated with that the rest of my life. These are unusual men. There are men that have, that have, that have uh, uh, won the victory in overwhelming odds. There's a man, Benaiah, who went down. He uh, slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down and slew a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. He slew an Egyptian who had a goodly spear, and he slew him just with a staff in his hand. There is Abishai, talked about here, the brother of Joab. But at the end of this passage, there is a man in verse 39 that is called Uriah, verse 39 of 2 Samuel 23, Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. So the last man that's mentioned among the mighty men of David is a man named Uriah, and we find out that he is a Hittite. Now, we have heard of Uriah before, and this, of course, remember, this is a, 
This is a, David is at, it's at the end of David's life, and this is a review we're reading about when we read about Uriah, he's reviewed among David's mighty men. But if you go back to 2 Samuel 11, we have already been introduced, or, or Uriah has been mentioned to us. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah? I might just say to Brother Simpson, David did not inquire from God about Bathsheba. He inquired of men about Bathsheba. And the Bible said, And David sent messengers and took her. She came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. So we have this account of David's great sin. Uh, when we read about this account, we find out that this woman Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men. Now I want you to think about that. Uriah was a man who had risked his life for David. Uriah was a man who had fought alongside of David. Uriah was a man who believed God because the Bible tells us in the books of Chronicles that these men who gathered themselves to David did that because they had heard that God had anointed him to be king. They wanted the will of God to be accomplished in David's life. And I'd say this to you, you're in a good place if you have somebody around you that wants to see the will of God accomplished in your life. You ought to hang around with that crowd, amen. So Uriah is a godly man, but Uriah is the wife, uh, or the, excuse me, the husband of Bathsheba. He is a mighty man. Look like David in this particular time. Look like when he heard. I, I know he never should have done it in the first place. I know he should have been on the battlefield. I know he never should have looked at her. I, never, I know he never should have had the second thought about her. I know he never should have inquired about her. But it looked like at least when somebody said, this is the wife of Uriah, the man who's fought with you and fought beside you and wants the will of God done in life. Look like at the very least David would have said, I can't can't do what I'm thinking about, at least for Uriah's sake, I can't do what I'm thinking about. But he went on and did what he was thinking about and committed this sin. And in the midst of this story, we hear about David, we hear about Bathsheba, but we forget about Uriah. And I'm interested in Uriah. And I want to preach this morning on this subject concerning Uriah. Does it matter if I am faithful? Does it matter if I am faithful? I'm wondering if there's somebody here this morning and you were honest with somebody else, they were dishonest with you. You were faithful to someone, they were unfaithful to you. You were kind to someone and because you were kind, they turned around and took advantage of you. Perhaps you gave your whole heart to someone and they took your heart and cut it in little pieces and handed it back to you. Maybe you trusted someone and they proved themselves untrustworthy and when you did that, 
The devil came by and said, look at you, what a fool you were. What a fool you were to love. What a fool you were to trust. What a fool you were to be faithful. Maybe you were faithful to a ministry and the one in charge of the ministry turned out to be unfaithful. And the devil said to you, look at all that wasted time. Look at that faithfulness you invested. And it did not mean anything. The devil loves to tell us that our faithfulness is not important. He loves to tell us when we've been hurt and when we've been wronged and when we go through a trial in our life that somehow the things we have done for God were in vain and that they did not matter. And so I want us, I want us to be helped this morning with that idea. And I want us to look at the life of Uriah to find out about that help. I was looking at Uriah one day and studying him and uh, the Holy Ghost began to talk to my heart about some things concerning this man. Let me say this to you first of all. I, I would say this as, as my friend Brother Bailey would say by way of introduction, amen. A fella said, we say that when we have more than we, we have more points than we can fit in our outline. Amen, I'm teasing Brother Bailey. By way of introduction, let me say this about Uriah. If we were to take one word and describe how Uriah lived, I think it'd be the word faithful. Think about him a moment. Uriah was faithful to his wife. When David commits this sin with Bathsheba, and uh, he wants to cover it up. He calls, he sends to Joab and says, send me. We didn't take the time to read all that in the text. Uh, you can read it later. But he said, send me, jo send me Uriah. And so Joab sends Uriah back to David. Now here's what David's got in mind. David has in mind that when Uriah comes home, he'll go home to his wife. And later on when the baby is born, David will say, you know what? Uriah came home from the battle. That's why there's a baby. He's trying to cover up his his tracks. But here's, here's what I'm thinking about. David never could have planned that unless Uriah had a testimony as a faithful husband. If Uriah had been known as a carouser, if he'd been known as a wild man, David never would have considered this deception. But because Uriah is a faithful family man, David believes that when he comes home, he'll go into his wife and David will be able to cover up the sin when the baby is born. Now Uriah did not go home. I'll talk to you about why in a moment. Then the second thing is David uh, and Uriah. Uriah is not only faithful to his wife, but Uriah is faithful to his king. When this first deception does not work, David calls Uriah in. He writes down, he has written down a death warrant, a death sentence for Uriah. He's written on that death sentence to Joab. It's a letter to Joab. He said, take Uriah, set him in the forefront of the battle where the valiant men are, the hottest part, and retire from him that he may be smitten and die. He rolls that scroll up, puts the king's seal on it, and hands it to Uriah. Now he could not do that unless he had faith that Uriah would never open that letter. So David considers Uriah to be a faithful servant. Can I stop and throw a little parenthetic expression in here? You know, everybody it seems found out sooner or later that David had committed sin with Bathsheba. But I find out that David gives Joab a pass every time Joab does something wrong. Could it be because Joab was the only one who knew about the letter? And can I say to you this morning, 
If you've been involved in ungodliness, somebody has your letter. You say, preacher, don't nobody know about this. Oh, no, you're wrong. Somebody's got that letter and it's going to be read sometime. Best thing for you to do is get your letter and spread it out before God and say, Lord, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I want to repent of this. Somebody's got your letter. So Uriah is faithful to his wife. He's faithful to his king. He is also faithful to his commander. David says to Joab, take Uriah, put him in the hottest part of the battle where the valiant men are and retire from him that he may be smitten and die. Now here's my question. How does Joab know where the hottest part of the battle is? Well, he's a veteran soldier. He'd been in a lot of battles. He's seen a lot of warfare. He can look at a city and say, you know that wall right there? I remember we had a wall like that back yonder a few years ago. We lost a lot of men right there. He can look over here and say, you know, see that crowd right there? I remember a battle a while ago. We had a crowd like that. We lost a lot of men. That's a dangerous place to put a man right there. Joab knows where the hottest part of the battle is. But wait a minute. Uriah is not a raw recruit. Uriah is also a veteran. So if Joab knows where the most dangerous place on the battlefield is, Uriah must also know where the most dangerous part of the battlefield is. And I don't read where Uriah looked at Joab and said, I ain't fighting there. I don't want to go there. He was faithful to his commander. And then he was faithful to his God. You know why he didn't go home? He tells us why he didn't go home. Verse number nine, 2 Samuel 11. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab, and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I'll not do this thing. Now notice what he mentioned first. He mentioned the ark that represented the presence of God. What Uriah is saying is God is out on the battlefield. I'm not going home and rest and, and spend time with my wife when God is on the battlefield. He's faithful to his God. He was a faithful man. If we were to take one word to describe him, I think you would agree, it's the word faithful. But if we were to take one word and describe how he looks in 2 Samuel chapter 11, I think we'd use the word foolish. He looks as though he has been made a fool of. That's what I mean, preacher. The wife he loved and was faithful to has has committed adultery with another man. Looks like all the love that he had for her and the faithfulness that he had to her was a waste of time. The king that he loves and has been faithful to has stolen his wife and sent him to his death. Looks like it's a waste of time. Looks like they made a fool of him. The commander that he has been faithful to has sent him into the hottest part of the battle and told the rest of the crowd, retire from him so that he'll die. Looks like the commander that he was faithful to 
has made a fool of him. But what about God? Why didn't the God who knows tomorrow before it happens? Why didn't the God who saw all this being put together? Why didn't God step in? Why didn't God step in and say, I got a faithful man and I'm not going to let them do this to him? You say, preacher, I, I don't think I'd ask that question. I'm going to tell you what, when you get made a fool of, the devil's going to ask you that question. When your dreams have been dashed and it looks like your faithfulness was wasted, I guarantee you the imps of hell are going to come by and perch on your shoulder and say, where's your God now? Why'd you, all that you did, that Sunday school class, that serving God, that being faithful, where's God now when your heart is broken, when you feel like your faithfulness was a waste of time, where's your God now? I guarantee he's gonna tell you that. Why didn't God step in? I want us to think about Uriah. I want us to learn something. We saw We've seen how he lived and how he looked. I want us to learn something from Uriah's life about faithfulness. Because the devil will say, God didn't rescue you. Those that you love didn't treat you right. Your faithfulness was a waste of time. It does not pay to be faithful. You ought to just throw in the towel and you ought to just give up. Well, let's find out. Does faithfulness matter? Here's three reasons. Number one, no matter how things look, faithfulness is important and it matters because of grace. You say, preacher, what do you mean grace? This man's name is not just Uriah. His name is Uriah the Hittite. Do you remember the Hittites? When God was speaking to Moses about going into the promised land, he said in Deuteronomy, but of the cities of these people, which see Moses, God had told Moses, drive them out. And then if they wouldn't be driven out, then he said, destroy them. And he said in Deuteronomy 20, 16, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. Deuteronomy 20, 17, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely, and you know who the first crowd is on the list? The Hittites. God said, you get in the promised land, you find those Hittites, they're ungodly, they're wicked. I don't want you to learn their ways. He said, I want you to absolutely destroy them. Everything that breatheth, I don't want to let, I don't want one of them left alive. He said, because I'm afraid they'll teach you after all their abominations, which they have done unto their gods so should you sin against the Lord your God so all of a sudden we come along to David's life and we find Uriah who is a Hittite and we find this Hittite not worshiping false gods but worshiping the true God we find him following the true king of Israel we find him married to an Israelite lady we find this man who was under a death sentence among the people of God you say preacher what happened 
I don't know. I can only find one word to describe it. It's called grace. Here's a man who ought to have been dead. He shouldn't even be living. But here he is with God's people serving the Lord. I don't know what to call it except the amazing grace of God. You know what? God has already done so much for, I know people say this and they don't mean it and it's trite and it's a cliche, but God has already done so much for Uriah. If he never does anything for him again, Uriah still owes him his life and all of his tomorrows. If my heart gets broken tomorrow, God has already done so much for me. I think I'll just go ahead and serve him anyway because of what he's already done. I remember where I was when he found me. I remember the condition of my life, but I remember his amazing grace. See, we got this thing turned around. We got the cart before the horse. If God blesses me, I'm gonna serve him. Or we say this, how to read my Bible so that God will thank me. I'm going to be faithful so that God will thank me. I'm going to be a soul winner and God will be glad and thank me. I'm going to be a prayer warrior so God will be glad and thank me. No, you know what I did this morning? I got up, put my suit on, came down to the house of God to say thank you to him. Every time I read my Bible, I'm saying thank you, Jesus, for saving a wretch like me. Every time I try and tell a sinner about Jesus, I'm just saying thank you, God, for saving a wretch like me. Every time I pray, I'm just saying thank you, Lord, for saving a wretch like me. If God never does anything else for us, we're going to heaven. We're never going to hell. We've experienced the grace of God. We'll just keep on serving him. Your faithfulness matters because of grace. They said to David Livingston one time, the great missionary, they said, tell us about your great sacrifices on the mission field. He said, sacrifices? How can it be called a sacrifice that which is just in a small way trying to pay back a great debt that is owed. Oh, dear friend, you are saved forever. And you might be here this morning and someone has broken your heart and you wonder why God didn't step in or you wonder why, they, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you wonder where you'd be if God had not saved your soul? Come by where you were, brought you up out of that horrible pit. Let's just serve him because of grace. Let's just serve him because of grace. Your faithfulness matters because of grace. And then secondly, your faithfulness matters because of grief. Now, in my life, I'm gonna this morning put my grief in two categories. There is grief that I cause. I'm going through it because I caused it. But there is also grief that I suffer 
I didn't have a hand in causing it, but I'm having to suffer in it. Sometimes we call it secondhand suffering. You're suffering because of the decision someone else made, not because of what you made. Well, I'm looking at grief in Uriah's life and I'm comparing it with David's life. And I'm wondering who's experienced more grief. Somebody say, well, old Uriah, poor old Uriah, he got the short end of the stick. David came out on top, did he? Let me give you a couple thoughts the Lord gave me while I was thinking about Uriah. Uriah left this world without hearing what they had done. He never heard about it. As far as I know, he never knew about it. He walked into paradise one day and they said, what are you doing here? He said, I don't know. I was just doing what I love, serving my God, serving my king, loving my wife, obeying my commander. That's all I was doing. Here I am. That's a pretty good way to leave. He never heard about what had been done. But what about David? What did David hear? David heard when they came in and said the baby's dying. David heard when they came in and said Amnon's uh, raped his sister, half-sister Tamar. David heard when they came and said Absalom's coming for you to kill you to take the kingdom. Over and over again, that sword, David's hearing about that sword. He's having to go through all of that trouble. But Uriah never heard about any of that. He just went home happy and contented doing what he'd always been doing and what he loved to do. That's a good way to leave. He never, he left without hearing. He left without hatred. If he had heard what David had done, I imagine he might have been filled with bitterness. But he wasn't. Uriah went home still loving Bathsheba. Still loving David. But wait a minute now. What did David, what about hatred in David's life? David had to endure family hatred. After Amnon attacked his sister, the Bible said he hated her. And the Bible said for two years, Absalom never spoke a word good or evil to Amnon. He hated him, his plot and his murder. And then, this, what about this? He, he had hatred from, there was that fuming hatred of Absalom for Amnon. And there was that fatal hatred when Absalom finally killed Ammon, rose up. See, David was surrounded. His home was filled with hatred because of his wickedness. But Uriah never faced any of that. He went home without all that hatred. And then he went home not only without hearing, without hating, but he went home without halting. He went home with a clean testimony. Somebody said, what do you remember about Uriah? Well, I remember he's faithful. But he did not, if he'd have been, if God had stepped in and stopped the thing, Uriah found out about it. He could have got bitter. He could have went after David. There's all kind of things that could have happened. But he went home clean. I'm going to tell you something, friend. I'd like to go home clean. I'd like to go home right. I'd like to leave this world right with God. David halted. What's the first thing you think of? I, maybe not, not us here. We think of a lot of things about David. But what's the first thing the world thinks of when they think of David? The great sin with Bathsheba. 
They don't think, Brother Simpson, about a man that's after God's own heart. You and I think of that. They don't think about him out on the Judean hills singing those songs. They don't think about that. They don't think about the sweet psalmist of Israel. They don't think about that. They think of David and Bathsheba. He ruined his testimony. And Nathan talks to him about it. He ruined his testimony with his foes. Nathan said, God hath put thy sin away, but by this thou hast given great occasion unto the enemies of God to blaspheme. He ruined his testimony with his friend Joab. Joab knew what he'd done and I believe held that letter over his head and he ruined his testimony with his family because of what he'd done. That sword never left his house. David, you say, well, Uriah got the short end of the stick. No, looks to me like faithfulness won the day. Your faithfulness matters because of grace. It matters because of grief. And then thirdly, it matters because of the gospel. You say, well, preacher, I, I've been wronged and I've been hurt and I've been wounded. I just feel like, I just feel like giving up. Well, you know what's interesting to me when you go to Matthew chapter one and you're coming down through the lineage of the Lord Jesus. And all these people are in the ancestry of Christ except one man. There's a man mentioned in that lineage who was not an ancestor of Christ. His name was Uriah. The Bible said David begat Solomon of her that had been. I like that had been. You know why? God cleaned that sin up. There's grace in that statement. So had been the wife of Urias. God mentioned him in the lineage of the Lord Jesus when he doesn't really belong there. Could I give you a little McBrideology? I just feel like the Lord said, you know, I had a faithful man. And nobody ever thinks about him much. I think I'll just mention him. I think I'll just put him right in here close to my son. I think I'll put him, because I think so much of faithfulness, I don't want the world to forget I had a faithful man one time that was used and abused and wrong. That's McBride algae. You can do whatever you want to with it. But let me give you some more Bible. The Bible said in, in our first text in 2 Samuel 23, enumerating the mighty men of God, and it said Uriah the Hittite, and then it said 30 and 7 in all. Now, if you study Bible numerology, 30 is the number of dedication, and especially the dedication of Christ. 7 is the number of completion and perfection. So if you find the number 30 and 7, complete dedication, somewhere in the vicinity of that, you ought to find somebody who is an example of that dedication. And guess whose name is right next to 30 and 7? Uriah. So Uriah, all right, let me say it to you like this. If I were to say to you today, I'm thinking of a man who died not because of his own sin, but for the sins of others. If I were to say to you, I'm talking about a man who was forsaken in his death. If I were to say to you, I'm talking about a man who was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. 
If I were to say to you, I'm talking about a man who was wounded in the house of his friends. His friends did that to him. If I were to say to you, I'm talking about a man who could say, mine own familiar friend has lifted up his heel against me. You know who all those verses are about. They're all about Jesus. But they're also true of Uriah. You know what happens here? God takes the man the world would call a fool and makes him a reflection of Jesus. Could I suggest this to you? Maybe the reason the devil comes by and tells you to quit when you've been wounded and hurt and disappointed and whispers in your ear and says, you ought to give this up. Your faithfulness didn't count. You ought to quit on God. Maybe the reason he does that right then is he knows that when you're brokenhearted and hurt and you've been wrong, it's the best opportunity you'll ever have in your life to look like Jesus if you just stay faithful. And he don't want you looking like Jesus. He don't want you portraying Jesus. He don't want anybody to see Jesus in you. So he said, they did you wrong. You might as well quit. You might as well just give up. Because he knows there's a great opportunity right then for your life to look like the life of Christ and draw somebody's attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to say to you, your faithfulness matters. You think, it, you think it didn't. You think it didn't count. You think y'all just throw in the towel, but you're wrong. Your faithfulness counts. It counts to God. It counts to others. Uriah's not, he's not just a bypassing theme. He's the hero in this account. Because the Bible said, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found Faithful. I don't have to be successful. I don't have to come out on top. I just have to be faithful. God wants me to be faithful. I want you to bow your heads a moment.